And welcome to the water cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're with us. All right, breathe, breathe. I've got my yoga pants on. I want you to stay calm. You got to stay calm. I mean, it's Wednesday, November 4th, the day after the election. And well, what do you want me to say? I mean, we wait. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. Uh, and then we go to court, of course. A crazy night in a crazy election in a crazy year we call 2020. Uh, ballots are still being counted in key battleground states and get ready for an argument over what a legal ballot is and this word cured. I mean, is that the new political terrain that we're in right now? The president claims that he's won the election. He says, hey, there is a covert and overt attempt to steal it from him. And meanwhile, Joe Biden has emerged from the basement to say he feels confident in the results. But folks, let's be honest here. The only thing we can be pretty confident in right now is, come on, you know the deal. This whole ordeal is headed to the Supreme Court. Even if states are called for Biden, Trump's going to challenge it. You can take that to the bank. And look, by the time all of this is said and done, I'm going to be in some sort of electoral coma. All I know is this, Trump overperformed and the, the basically the polling and the liberal media severely underperformed. And I want to bring in our newsmaker right now, the president's former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Hey, Nick, uh, Mick, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. David, good morning or good afternoon. Good evening. I'm not sure what time it is. I've been up for about 36 hours. <clears throat> yeah, I was about to say, uh, you're going sideways and, and cra stir crazy at this point. Well, Mick, just the overall impressions. Let's start there. Uh, the polling was all wrong. In fact, you have to start to wonder at what point was the polling intentionally wrong. The AP Washington Post poll in Wisconsin from a week ago had the president up by 17 in Wisconsin. Wisconsin may end up being divided, decided by 17 total vote, votes, not 17 percent. Um, so I, I think there's going to be some real head scratching and some real uh, sort of inquiries into how they got that that wrong and was it intentional. Um, media got it very, very wrong, um, as I think everybody start to realize. Ask yourself the question whether or not there was an attempt to sort of depress Republican turnout, repress uh, Trump support under the theory that he was losing by so much, there's no reason for you to go to the polls and vote because he doesn't have a chance. Um, but at the end of the day, what did we learn? We learned that the nation's still very divided. The reason the election is very close is that we're closely divided as a country. So uh, I don't think anybody should be surprised like that. It is going to be a very, it's been an interesting last six months and going to be an interesting next six hours, six days, six weeks. Who knows? Let me follow up a little bit on that intentional word. You used it twice. Uh, hard to prove that, uh, I guess. Sure. But, but what's, your, what's, your, what's your reasoning behind that? Why, why would you say intentional? I mean, a lot of people believe that as well. Well, again, I have no evidence, and I'm fine. I fully admit that. But if, uh, if, the, if the shoe were on the other foot, you'd have large media outlets going, well, these are very serious allegations. They need to be investigated. Did various pollsters, the Washington Post and AP, do something in order to skew a, a message? You don't miss a poll by 18 points. Um, you can miss it by 6 and 10. In fact, it looks like they missed it by 6 and 10 a, a lot of different places. But 18 is outrageous. Um, if there's anything that comes from this uh, race, it's that um, not only can't you believe the media in most circumstances, you probably can't believe pollsters anyway. But look, at the end of the day, let's be positive. And that is that we had an election, which is great. And people got a chance to uh, express their opinions and cast their ballots. And that's fantastic. Now, what we need to focus on is just getting an accurate count of the legal ballots. That's going to be extraordinarily close in many places. 
Uh, we talk a little bit about Arizona if you want to, Pennsylvania. Um, still uh, way too close to call in too many states. So you mentioned Arizona. Obviously, some of the networks have called it. You're saying hold on on Arizona like the Trump campaign is talking about. Yeah, I did something really crazy. I actually called somebody in Arizona last night to ask them what was going on. Um, and I called the right person because he, he had the data. And here's what we know is the president's losing now by, I think, uh, 93,000 votes. There are about 600,000 votes that haven't been counted yet, or at least hadn't been counted as of about a, a couple of hours ago. In Arizona, David, they do something a little bit different than they're doing in some of the other states right now. They're counting the walk-in votes last. So they've already counted their mail-in votes, and now those 600,000 votes that are uncounted are overwhelmingly walk-in votes. The walk-in vote yesterday in Arizona was about 60-40 Trump. If you take that 60-40 percentage and it holds over those 600,000 votes, the president wins um, 360 votes to 240. He makes up more than the 93,000 votes that he's short, and he wins Arizona by 27,000 votes. I'm surprised it's not getting more attention. It's possible I'm missing something. It's possible my information is bad. Um, but when I talk um, to a member of Congress who's very heavily invested in, 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 in the outcome, I believe those numbers. So I'd be curious to see how Arizona shakes out in the next couple of hours and days. Well, Nick, that's fast. Mick, that's fascinating because if you change if Arizona changes, I mean, that that changes so much uh, from an electoral standpoint. Um, I well, want to play David, uh, a David. Let me cut you off. It's more interesting. If you take Arizona and Pennsylvania, the president wins. Arizona and Michigan, the president wins. Arizona and Wisconsin. It looks like Wisconsin may be moving to the Biden camp right now. I don't know how the lawsuits are going to settle out there. But Arizona plus Wisconsin, everything else going to Biden is a two sixty nine two sixty nine tie. Yeah, but let me ask you this. If Arizona doesn't go his way, then he's got to pull Pennsylvania and Michigan. That's correct. That's right. So there's a bunch of different oh. permutations at this point. He's up by several hundred thousand votes in both of those places. Right, right. Gotcha. Which kind of leads me into the questions about the legal fight ahead. I want to play you Alan Dershowitz. He was on the program yesterday. This is what he said about the legal fight ahead. Have a listen. Any sense of how this might ultimately turn out if it went to the Supreme Court? Or now we're looking at a potential... Uh, whether it be 5-4-6-3 decision, probably a 5-4 decision. I mean, I'm assuming this could go all the way to the Supreme Court, like you mentioned a bit earlier. It's possible. And um, I think that uh, Justice Barrett would be wise to recuse herself. She has a 40-year career in front of her, and I think she would taint herself if she were the one to cast the deciding uh, vote. But uh, what if it comes to the Supreme Court and it's 4-4 to and there's no decision? Um, Maybe she would sit. Uh, I hope it doesn't come to that. Pretty for provocative comments ha- suggesting Amy Coney Barrett should recuse herself, Mick. Uh, yeah, but not, uh, not aware of that. That's an interesting theory. I, I, I cannot help but wonder what the basis would be for that. Typically, a recusal of a judge uh, means you've had some previous uh, um, connection with the case. You have some personal information on the case, some bias or so forth. Uh, I'm not really sure what, uh, what Alan was getting with that, but it's an interesting theory. Um, and I'm sure add it to the list of things we can um, we can contemplate for the next couple of weeks. Let me ask you uh, regarding what the president said uh, overnight in the morning, whenever it was in the middle of your 36 hours that you've been up uh, straight here, Mick. Uh, what, what did you think of what the president said? Because he basically he didn't basically said he says we, we won the we won the election and now it's time to fight it in court. Do, do you believe that he went too far or, or what are you, what's your sense? You know, no, but I mean, the great, the president, you know, sort of shooting from the hip is the what we've had from the president for four years. I don't want anybody surprised by it. I did an interview overseas 
just a couple minutes ago, and they asked me, was the president plotting a coup? I'm, I, I, I was like, are you, are you serious? Somebody goes on TV and says, look, I think I won this election. I thought I won every single one of my elections on election night. It's not that unusual for a politician to say that. So uh, I was I was struck by the president's tone. He wasn't encouraging people to go into the streets or set buildings on fire. He was saying, look, I think we won, and I feel like I don't want to get stolen from us. Go back and listen to what he actually said. He said he wants to uh, allow the lawyers to do their job, to follow the law, to count every vote that's supposed to be counted, not count any votes that aren't supposed to be counted. That's the right attitude to have and not that different than any other candidate would say under those circumstances. Mick, there is a legitimate path here on voter fraud. I mean, look at Pennsylvania. I mean, this whole idea that you can have prepaid ballots that come in with no postmark. Uh, I understand there's a barcode on, on the whole thing, but come basically prepaid envelopes that are mail-in ballots that are coming in with no postmark after the election. I mean, what in the world is that? Well, and we knew about that, right? I mean, that we had raised that issue. Uh, I don't know if there's lawsuits about that that are still pending or if there will be lawsuits about that, but we've raised that issue, I think, not only in Pennsylvania, but also, I think, out in Arizona where ballots went out in prepaid um, envelopes. By the way, for folks who don't understand, if you get a prepaid envelope, it does not get a, a, a cancel stamp on it. It does not have a, a, a postmark on it in, in most circumstances, so you don't know when it was actually mailed. So we knew that was coming. Why Pennsylvania didn't fix that, I don't know. You'd have to ask Pennsylvania. But look, this is going to be one of those very many things that sort of shake out. Listen, I would have loved to have a clear-cut decision last night. I think most people would. Um, we don't have that. That's fine. We'll slog through it. We've done this before as recently as just 20 years ago. The country will survive. The government will survive. The nation will survive. Could it be ugly and slow the next couple of weeks? Sure. But again, we've done this before. We know how to do it. At the end of the day, there will either be a peaceful transition or retention of power for the next four years, period, end of story. What's your percentage on whether or not uh, the president pulls this off in the end when all is said and done? Yeah, I've looked at some of the numbers. We didn't get a chance to talk about Pennsylvania in any detail, which maybe would take up a, a, another day. But some of the data there is very encouraging for the president. So I guess if I'm a gambling man, I'm giving the president two-thirds chance right now because I think he wins Arizona for the reasons I mentioned, and I think he wins Pennsylvania. All right, fair enough. I want to show you this New York Times uh, article about the Hispanic uh, turnout. I tell you what, that Miami-Dade number was, oh my gosh, that was impressive. Uh, here's what the New York Times says, big gains among Latinos in the Miami area, power Trump to victory in Florida. What's your take, uh, especially th those Hispanic uh, evangelicals as well, and of course Cuban-Americans in the Venezuelan community? Yeah, well, the, the last two, I think, are, are, are noteworthy. Certainly, the president did a lot of outreach to the, to the whole Hispanic community. I was the national chairman of Catholics for Trump. We did a lot of work in the Hispanic community, as you can imagine. But I think what you're seeing there in Miami-Dade is, is really interesting from an American perspective, because I think what you're seeing there are the Cubans and the Venezuelans really coming forward and say, wait a second, this really was about socialism. And while the rest of America doesn't know what that really means, other than that it's a word that you use sometimes when you're either liking somebody or disliking somebody, um, they know what socialism really means, and they know what that, that trend leads to uh, in any nation because they've seen it up, up close and personal. So I, I think it's a badge of honor for the president. As a Republican, I take it as a badge of honor that the folks who understand socialism are the folks who, who flocked the Republican Party into Donald Trump last night. I, that, that, that's something I, yep. that makes me good as I see it. Mick Mulvaney, always great to see you. Thanks so much, and, and not falling asleep during the interview especially. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Thanks, All right. Mick Mulvaney uh, with us now on the program quite often. All right. When we come back, the other side, the Biden campaign, Stephanie Rollins Blake, a friend of the show, back in a moment with her take. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. I'm here in Virginia Beach uh, covering the election. Uh, Boy, I tell you what, I'm doing this show on two hours sleep. Thank you very much as I pat myself on the back. But my guess is our next guest didn't get much sleep either. And we're always glad to have her back on the show. Stephanie uh, Rawlings-Blake with us, uh, the former mayor of Baltimore and a Biden surrogate. Stephanie, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. It is my pleasure. And yes, we are all operating on very, very little sleep. It's like we have a newborn. (laughs) That's right. All right. So what do you what's your sense of uh, what happened last night? We're kind of in limbo, but I, I want to get your overall impressions. Yeah, we're definitely in limbo, but I, I think things are looking good for President Biden. I heard what uh, Mick Mulvaney said, uh, but I, I think the numbers showed differently. We were able to um, you know, flip the the uh, what is it, the second congressional dis- district in uh, Nebraska. We were able to flip Arizona. And I think things are looking good in the remaining uh, toss-up states. What do you make of some of the African-American turnout? I, I, what, here's what I noticed. I mean, I was tracking it all night. In other words, I was in Milwaukee County uh, in Wisconsin. I was in Wayne County in Michigan. I was looking at the numbers. And of course, Philadelphia County and some of the other surrounding car- counties in Pennsylvania. It seemed to me like when those numbers in Milwaukee County started to come in he- heavily for Biden, Wisconsin turned in Biden's favor. So the African-American vote really helped him there. But in Michigan, I guess we'll see, and in, and in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia County, those numbers were a bit down from what Hillary did, at least, at least the last check I had. I mean, it's not statistically down that much, but a percentage or two can make a difference. W- what's your take overall about what, we're see- what we saw? I think in these uh, in these battleground states, the margins are so slim. I think it's difficult to say what that means so far, because in Michigan, particularly, they're still uh, counting the balance. And you cannot forget that we are in the middle of a pandemic, which means that people are not voting the way that they normally did. So, you know, I am uh, optimistic that uh, the votes in the black community in Michigan are still coming in strong for uh, Vice President Biden. I think it's clear that uh, Vice President Biden did a lot of work uh, that the, uh, particularly the community leaders and elected officials and the Democratic leaders in Michigan wanted him to do as far as doing the outreach, being there, sending surrogates. Uh, and I think that the votes as they continue to come in will reflect that. I can tell you right now that I've spoken to the Trump campaign in the last hour or two. They're nervous about Georgia. uh, And I'm curious to get your take on what is happening in Georgia. The fact that we're talking about Georgia the day after an election, where it typically goes to Republicans, uh, that's not a good sign for the Trump campaign. It's definitely not a good sign for the Trump campaign. And it is indicative of, I think, what you what you have seen across the country. That is. Uh, the African-American vote came out very heavily for Vice President Biden. Um, you know, we understand what it means to have a divided country. We understand what it means for lawlessness only to mean uh, when, when, when 
when blacks and our allies fight for equality that that we are deemed as um, you know trying to break the law or barbarian, and yet when uh, Trump supporters um, you know shoot and kill people, run over people, when they surround a campaign bus and try to run them off the road, their their uh, behavior you know the, the the leadership in this country turns a blind eye to that. We know what that means on a daily basis. So when when the president said, you know, what the you know what do we have to lose? We know what we have to lose, and that's why I think you see these numbers that are so strong in all of these places. We will not let uh, white supremacy win. I just want to clarify, or when I say clarify, I just want to say I heard you right. Uh, some some with the transmission, you said something about Trump people shoot shooting and killing. Others, I, I'm just trying to, is that what you said? And I'm trying to understand what you meant by that exactly, just just so I understand. I, I met Kyle Rittenhouse in, uh, in the the, um, the domestic oh. terrorist that, that went with his gun uh, to a uh, oh. peaceful protest and ended up killing two people. Okay, so we'll, that, we'll talk about that on another segment for sure. Uh, let me ask you about, you mentioned a divided nation. And... Uh, how concerned are you that, I mean, look, you've got both camps and, and there's going to be half the country, let's be honest, half the country is going to be excited when all this is said and done and the other half is going to be in disbelief and feel like an election was stolen from them either way. I mean, that, that's what both sides are going to think. What, what do you make of what could be coming, the fallout from a divided nation like this? I think the, the fallout under a President Biden will be an intent to heal not an intent, unlike President Trump, not an intent to further divide this country. Uh, Vice President Biden is clear that he's a proud Democrat, but he intends to be an American president. And that's what we need right now. The only way that we're going to be a united, uh, the United States of America, is if our leaders, if particularly the president, one, has to be the United States of America. And when you have someone who rebels in the chaos of division, um, we are not the strong country and the, the great country that I know we can be. You know, Stephanie, I was just going, I was kind of geeking out with the, the numbers and I'm looking at like uh, the top Catholic counties uh, in Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And this, uh, Joe Biden did much better than Hillary Clinton this time around. I mean, just like, for example, in Macomb County in Michigan, uh, Donald Trump won that county by 24,000 votes in 2016. Uh, and Joe Biden, uh, uh, or excuse me, by 48,000. And now that number was only 24,000. So Joe Biden has cut into that a lot. And uh, it really is interesting to see all the outreach he did from a faith perspective with the community. I think it shows that the Republican parties do not have the corner on um, morality and um, re religious mm -hmm. strength in this country. I think uh, Vice President Biden lives his faith. He doesn't. He does not use his faith as a prop. He lives it, and I think uh, the Pakistan Catholics around the, the country saw that. Stephanie Rawlings Blake, always great to see you. I hope you'll come back on uh, sometime soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. That's great. Always insightful. Love, uh, love the conversation with Stephanie. All right. Uh, we've got a lot more on the show. Uh, boy, where do I even begin? Well, how about we start with Paul Farhi? He's, he's on the show quite a bit, the Washington Post media critic. And I've got a lot to talk 
to Paul about, including, oh, I don't know, how the media has been covering this race. I mean, he's got a few things to say about that. As a matter of fact, he's out with a new article about it. In addition, you know what we're going to talk about, folks. The polling. Not all that great. As a matter of fact, why am I even saying not all that great? It was abysmal. Should they get rid of pollsters forever? R.I.P. Rest in peace, pollsters. We'll talk about it with Paul Farhi after the break. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, it's time now to talk about the media and its treatment of the election coverage and election night and all that good stuff. Uh, joining us, uh, a friend of the show. We, we love him. Uh, we love him. I can officially say that on the record. Paul Farhi, the Washington Post media critic. Paul, thanks for coming back. Appreciate it. My pleasure, David. Always, always great to be with you. Well, let's start with uh, what you wrote, uh, and let's take a look at the Washington Post article uh, right here. This is the headline, after a night of red and blue images, uh, mirages, excuse me, TV anchors and pundits push back on Trump's false claim of election victory. Why don't you take us through a little bit of what you wrote in the Washington Post today? Sure. Um, if you watched the coverage last night, which I did uh, ad nauseum, you found the following, that, that the early results turned out to be not the final result. And it created a sense of false hope uh, in each of the campaigns, I think, uh, but primarily the Biden campaign. So for instance, the early return from Florida showed Biden ahead. It got the anchors on networks very excited that Biden might pull off an upset in Florida. Uh, Ohio was the same way. Even Kentucky, uh, which no way was going for Biden, but early on you watch CNN, you found that they were saying, hey, this could be a big uh, upset for Biden. Uh, Trump had the same effect in Virginia. The uh, results from downstate came in first, made Trump look very good. Uh, then the results from Fairfax County and Northern Virginia came in, just buried Trump, and of course Virginia went for Biden. So throughout the evening, you had these switches going on. Uh, it created a, a sense that uh, maybe we were seeing a big upset when in fact what we were really watching was things going to form and mail-in votes being counted at various points uh, that changed the, the final out. So what are we supposed to make of that as a, as a viewer as we watch election night coverage like this? I mean, it is a roller coaster, but there is a responsibility, uh, obviously, at the network level to not just from a projection standpoint. Obviously, they need to get the projections right. But just the, the narratives of the evening, I, I think it's a it's a it's a high order. Yeah, I, I think we're all uh, victims of our own expectations. And, you know, if you expected uh, Biden to overperform against Trump, mm -hmm. uh, this blue wave, these, this was evidence for your preconception. When in fact what the network should have done, and in some cases did do, was to say, look, these results are preliminary. This is not going to be what happens. We have a lot of votes coming in, and the kinds of votes that are coming in, mail-in or in-person votes, 
will change these results significantly. You didn't hear enough caveats as far as I was yeah, for sure. Paul, I, I want to uh, switch over to the polling a little bit. Uh, obviously, this isn't necessarily a straight-up media question, but we know media organizations do polling. It's not just media organizations, obviously. And uh, here we go again, Paul. I mean, look, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they got it wrong again. And, and, and maybe there is some spinning here to say, well, they got the popular vote right, or they got this right, or maybe ultimately they'll get... The truth of the matter is, everybody was kind of predicting... Uh, that Biden was either going to have some sort of landslide, and even if it wasn't a landslide, that Biden was going to win some of these these states. And it turned out to not be the case, and the empirical data is there. What what do you make of uh, some of the polls that, that, that just turned out for the second major election in a row uh, to be wrong? Yeah, that goes to the whole mirage. Uh, the expectation built up by the polls for weeks in advance of the election got everybody geared up for a certain kind of narrative, and it just did not happen. Uh, you look at what it came down to by about midnight or even before that, we were back to 2016, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. Those were the states that were going to decide this. And mm -hmm. the polls in, in almost every close state race were just dead wrong. And I think the polling industry really is going to have to re-examine uh, what happened and why it happened. Is it possible that there are too many calls uh, being made over? Uh, not enough calls on landlines, too many on cell phones, too many turndowns. I mean, there's a whole series of issues that have been building up for many years in polls. And, you know, we all love them. Everybody wants to know how the horse race is going to turn out. The campaigns want to know mm -hmm. how it's going to turn out. They do polling, too. So I, I don't know what the problem is exactly, but uh, we were steered very wrong by this one. Right, and I want to show you a clip from Newsweek. Uh, I say a clip, but it's a it's an article there from Newsweek, and it talks about. And I'm not here to get on Nate Silver's case, but he's kind of the polling guru of all this. Nate Silver faces wrath of Twitter <laughs> after election results once again go against his predictions. And not that this is about Nate Silver, but it does go to a credibility issue as it relates to the media. And, uh, you know, you got Nate Silver on ABC News with George Stephanopoulos on a Sunday show. I mean, uh, you just wonder if at some point the last thing the media needs is to have their credibility hurt even more, Paul. Well, come on, David. Nate Silver is not the media. Uh, and, you know, again, the campaigns were doing their own polling. And how accurate were they? We don't exactly know. I won't speak for Nate Silver. I won't defend him either. Sure. But I will guess that there were lots and lots of polls. Go through uh, 538.com, which is Nate Silver's site, or go through Real Clear Politics. You will see endless polling from all kinds of sources, the networks, uh, colleges, uh, independent firms. There were tons of polls. And they really were generally, generally pointing in uh, a, to a Biden victory. So it wasn't just Nate Silver got wrong. There were a lot of people who got this wrong. Yeah, I would think the methodology probably needs to change or something needs to happen. Do you think poll, you think we're going to see polling uh, be uh, looked at differently since from this election onward? Well, I think that the pollsters will adjust their formulas and the way they go about it. Uh, we, we will never get away from polls. We love polls. Um, uh, it makes for a lot of fodder for the news media in advance. Uh, people want to know. It does create some sense of predictability, even though this one was off. Uh, people like to know how the horse race is going to turn out. So I don't think we're ever going to stop polling. Uh, the question is, is, are the polls going to get better?
Paul Farhi, always, always great to talk to you. Really appreciate your insight. It's great as always. Thank you. Thank you, David. All right, that's Paul Farhi with The Washington Post. Uh, a lot more on the show to come. And boy, I don't even know where we begin. We actually have uh, Phil Klein uh, coming up. And Phil Klein uh, will take us into some of the legal battles ahead, whether it be Pennsylvania, whether it be Wisconsin and Michigan, because here's the truth of the matter. Everybody's talking about Pennsylvania and the legal fight because that's going to be kind of the apex, the, the center, if you will. But uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, guess what, folks? Recount. It's coming. And can you imagine what a recount's going to look like? What does a legal ballot look like? That'll be interesting. And there's a new word called cured, a cured ballot, like a cured ham. Uh, that makes me, it reminds me, actually, I'm kind of hungry. All right, I'll get some ham, and we'll be back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back, everybody, to the water cooler. I don't know about you. I've had, like I said on the show, I'm going to milk this for the whole show. I've had like two hours sleep. That's okay. Don't feel sorry for me, Argentina. I'm fine. Uh, but I, I will say this. I feel sorry for all of the legal ramifications that are about, not that I feel sorry for ramifications, because ramifications is not a person. See, this is what happens when I have two hours sleep. Uh, but I do feel sorry for everybody involved in the legal fight ahead because it is going to get nasty. I guarantee it is. And let's talk more about that with Phil Klein. Uh, he is the director of the Amistad Project at the Thomas More Society and the former Attorney General of Kansas. Uh, Phil, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. You bet. Great to be with you. Phil, take us through some of what we're about to see and transpire. Let's start with Pennsylvania. I mean, are, what is a legal ballot? I mean, we're going to, what, start to section these ballots off? Or they're going to count them, but they're going to separate them? Uh, I, I, listen, my head is spinning, Phil. you got to help me out here. Well, there, there are several concerns. Um, foremost among them is that every voter needs to be treated equally and fairly. And generally, our laws are accommodating that, and they also accommodate that every valid vote cast should be counted. The problem in Philadelphia is voters are being treated differently based on the jurisdiction that they're in. Certain jurisdictions, generally Democrat strongholds, decided that they wanted to cure absentee ballots. And what I mean by cure is that the ballot would come in and it's flawed in some fashion. The voter didn't complete the form right, or there wasn't a signature, or for some reason, it was an invalid ballot at that time. What they decided to do is contact party officials to go find the voter, to bring the voter back in to cure the ballot. Now, the challenge there is that most Pennsylvania counties believe that's illegal, and they refuse to do it. And most of the counties that are not curing the ballot are Republican counties. So what you have in Philadelphia, and this is just one example, there's several examples in Pennsylvania where voters are not being treated equally. What you have in Pennsylvania is in certain Democrat strongholds, these ballots are being cured by getting the voter back out. 
while in Republican areas, the ballots are not being cured. And that presents a problem, and that problem is going to end up in court. In fact, it already has. It's in the federal court, um, as well as a state court, and hearings are being held as we speak. So that's one issue. So, Phil, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, well, I just want to let me clear up that what you're saying about cured ballots. So are you saying you said it is illegal or could be illegal? Uh, I mean, it's not technically illegal, though, or, or is it? In Pennsylvania, the law does not allow these counting boards to reach out and release the information that they have about what's happening. So it is not proper. Now, the Secretary of State of Pennsylvania issued a directive at 8.38 p.m. on Monday night that every county should do it. Well, the problem with that last minute change, other counties were already doing it, and so that they had the staff and they had prepared, and then the counties that were not didn't have the time to adjust. So last minute changes in the rules is not proper. That's not what should happen in elections because everybody sets up the game to be played with a certain game board. And if you start changing the rules and suddenly if you land on Park Place, you own it and you get $500 automatically without having to purchase it, that is unfair because people haven't prepared for that. So the, the Secretary of State changed the rules of the game or tried to, but many claim she doesn't have the legal authority even to do that. So you've, well, you've got a fight in the courtroom where hopefully the rule of law will prevail. And, and we've got this virtually breaking out in every state. In Michigan, for example, if you go to Detroit, there are poll watchers in Detroit who witnessed the curing of ballots in Detroit. Now, Michigan law is very, very clear. If a ballot comes in and it can't be read by the machine, the law properly says you can set that ballot down, get a fresh ballot, and if you have a Republican and a Democrat there at the table, as well as other inspectors, you can transfer the intent of the flawed ballot over to the fresh ballot so it can be counted. Now that makes sense. So somebody spills coffee yeah. on their ballot, the machine won't read it. Then you get mm-hmm. everybody who's vested and you say, what does this ballot say? We'll put it over here, we sign off. The problem in Detroit is they, they prevented Republicans from participating. And they allowed okay, so only Democrats appointed by Democrats to actually fill out ballots for third parties they haven't met on flawed ballots. And we're talking thousands of ballots here. And that's right. a problem. So, so Phil, let, well, that's my, that's my question. So now let me understand what you're saying. You're saying if you're talking about thousands of ballots and we have a state that could be decided within thousands of votes, you're suggesting that this would be something that the Trump, uh, Trump administration, Trump campaign, I should say, would go to court over, potentially win. If they won, all of those ballots would be thrown out and that would tilt the, the, the uh, state towards Trump, potentially. Well, there, there's a couple of remedies here. What you could do is just comply with the law. The court could order, go get those flawed ballots, get the ballot that you completed, get a Republican in the room, and then sign off on it. You could do that if they yeah. kept flawed ballots. That They should have. That's a good question. Okay. Can they do that? Yeah. So there are a lot of steps between here and there. Unfortunately, when local election officials don't follow the law, which is pretty basic and simple, you know, that's mm-hmm. the way America has done it. You get the people vested in a room and guess what? If they agree, you know what the count is. 
If they disagree, mm -hmm. America gets to look at it and decide. But unfortunately, some election officials aren't following the law in that regard. So, Phil, so are cured ballots going to become like the new hanging chad, cured ballots <laughs> of 2020? Is that, is that the hanging chad of this uh, election? Well, early on it is. Now, what, what we could be seeing, too, is the effort to count ballots that are not postmarked that are still received after Election Day. And we still have okay. issues with, with these drop boxes, whether they were picked up by the time that the polls closed and whether ballots were cast after the polls closed. So there might be some other terms that we come up with uh, in this election because what's happened is unprecedented. Yeah, Phil, we're going to have to have you back. Uh, we we got to run now, but I want to get you back to talk a lot more about uh, what's going on with Mark Zuckerberg and all of that. But we got about 30 seconds, so I got to run. But we'll have you back for that, okay? Thanks, Phil. Thank you, sir. Good to be with you. All right, great. Great insight on cured ballots. Uh, that sounds less appetizing than cured ham. I can tell you that right now. Anyhow, uh, sorry, I got distracted with food. Uh, when we come back, the last sip. And all I have to say is three words. Yeah, it is three words. Latinos for Trump. Back in a moment. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis. Go green with solar panels or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody here in Virginia Beach. How about those Latinos for Trump? Ay, ay, ay. Cue the music. Oh, that's beautiful. That's just beautiful. You know what? I kind of feel like not saying anything from an uh, analytical standpoint. Just keep playing that video uh, over and over again. But anyhow, uh, I, I need to say something relatively smart. So uh, I've got nothing. No, I don't. I actually do have something. Miami-Dade County, that's where I was looking on election night. And boy, did Donald Trump deliver. Now, can, can we just dial this back for a second? In 2016, Donald Trump got 33% of the Latino vote, uh, well, actually, the Miami-Dade County vote, which is 70% Latino. Uh, he got 33% of the vote. Not all that great, right? 2020, that would be 2020, he got 45% of the vote. So instead of 33%, he got 12% more in the heavily Latino uh, county of Miami-Dade. And that's why we played that Latinos for Trump uh, little uh, vignette, if you will. It was a Trump campaign commercial. They worked their, can I say a Yiddish word? Dan, can I say, they, they worked their tukus 
I'm going to say took us. They worked their butts off uh, down there in Miami-Dade County with the uh, Venezuelan community, with the Cuban-American community, uh, and it paid off, and he won Florida because of it. And let's be honest, if they didn't do that work, he would have lost Florida because Duval County up in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and Pinellas County over in St. Petersburg, uh, Joe Biden actually did better than Hillary Clinton. So he needed Miami-Dade County. He needed the Latinos for Trump. He got them, and he won Florida. And that's the reason why today we're talking about the Rust Belt. We're talking about uh, Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Uh, we would have never be here. Trump would never even be here. We wouldn't have any of these legal fights up there if Trump had lost Florida. He didn't lose because of Latinos for Trump. And I think that just means cue the music. That's right, Parker. Cue it. Let's go to break with that. Let's do it. I'll talk to you later. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Remember, we said that on the show yesterday, and guess what? We were right. Thank you very much as we pat ourselves on the back, because Pennsylvania is going to be huge from this point forward. Forward could be in a week, two weeks, a month, who knows? Nick Ballacy knows all about Pennsylvania. He's our Just the New Senior Correspondent, and he is in Pennsylvania. Nick, please do me a favor. Get an Airbnb and stay a month. <laughs> I mean, this is where it's at. You're right, David. I mean, look, the vote totals from Philadelphia, whenever they do come in, if it's Friday, if it's next week, we're not sure exactly yet. We have elected officials saying that the statewide count might not uh, might not be known until next week, but that the Philly count with the mail-in ballots could be known uh, by Friday. We'll see what happens, but... This is where it's at. It could all come down to Pennsylvania because, as you've seen with these totals coming in from Michigan and Wisconsin, Trump is slightly down there. Um, Pennsylvania looks like it could be his only path uh, to getting close enough to 270 or surpassing 270 to, uh, to win. But we got to wait for Wisconsin and Michigan to be finalized, see where the president can go to, to possibly win. Yeah, Nick, what's interesting is that even now, if he gets Pennsylvania, I mean, it's a long story. I don't want to geek out on the math, but I mean, if he wins Georgia and North Carolina and Pennsylvania, still leaves him at 264, he's either got to get Nevada out west for 270 or win Michigan or Wisconsin, and neither one of those look great. Uh, but what's your sense in Pennsylvania as it relates to the voters you've been talking to there? we got about 30 seconds or so. All the voters we spoke to on Election Day at the polls, the majority of them were Trump supporters. They all gave specific reasons why some of them uh, didn't want to get into, you know, exactly where they were going to uh, where they were at with the president uh, and his personality. But they were willing to talk about the issues. And then we had, we talked to people who were early voters. Nick, uh, God bless you. You, you, you sound great. And even when the Skype doesn't quite work, you still sound great. But I can't take that audio. I think it's against uh, water cooler regulations, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if it is. Anyhow, Nick, I appreciate it. Stay uh, warm there in Pennsylvania. All right. Uh, on the big show tomorrow, we got tons of guests. I'll be back in Washington, D.C. Until then, everybody, have a great evening.